0: Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. He's a retired police sergeant. He spent years in SWAT and other tactical operations. He's a U.S. Army veteran. He's also a law enforcement liaison for one of the nation's largest training institutes for law enforcement and military and special operations. He's coming up. On the Law Enforcement Today Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is brought to you in part by the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888 991 9725 online at helpforourheroes.com. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Finally, our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. In addition to multiple rehabilitation and holistic treatments for all those that suffer from substance abuse problems, The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center is a nationally acclaimed veterans and first responders treatment program where law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the separate and highly specialized treatment they need. Their program features first responders and veterans helping first responders and veterans. Got questions? They have the answers at the Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at helpforourheroes.com. Calling us from my old stomping grounds, Maryland. We have on the phone Dennis O'Connor. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us on the Law Enforcement Today show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Dennis, by the way, is retired law enforcement officer. He's a veteran of the United States officer. Army. He's also the law enforcement liaison for GTI Training, Government Training Institute. A great group of folks. Before you, the details about your career in law enforcement. Dennis, tell us what GTI is all about.
1: Well, the Government Training Student was established in 2003, uh, a few years after 9 uh, 11. Uh, one of the biggest reasons uh, they were trying not necessarily to bring uh, uniform tactics across the board, but Department of Homeland Security set up a typing system based on equipment, what a tactical team would have equipment-wise. So what they asked is for different training companies to submit curriculum based on tactics. GTI submitted their tactics back in, I think it was 2003, and got approved probably around 2004, 2005 to receive federal dollars from agencies to come in and uh, teach SWAT tactics or tactics that law enforcement use. And we kind of grew from there. Uh, we grew from uh, teaching um, advanced SWAT tactics to active shooter responses, uh, rescue task force. We have sniper courses. So we have a whole array of different types of curriculum you can pull from. You can customize courses, uh, hostage rescue, close quarter battle, slow and deliver clears. Anything you really want to look at, uh, we have the capability to teach.
0: And where is GTI based out of?
1: Uh, GT Guys is, is based out of uh, Barnwell, South Carolina. We have the only decommissioned nuclear facility in the world uh, that we use down there. It was built back in the 1970s. It was closed down before it ever went into production, set vacant for years. We took it over, I think it was 2007. Uh, we took the building over. Uh, it's a tactical nightmare, not only... Does it bring in law enforcement from around the country? It brings in military tier one units uh, also come in there to train. And we have um, we have events there. Like we just had the tactical game not too long ago. We had they run airsoft competitions down there. It's just a huge tactical nightmare from a military
0: law enforcement perspective do a Google search for Government Training Institute. I believe it's trainingcom is the actual website. Dennis, before we get into your law enforcement career, and you know I've talked before, so there's a lot of similarities and there's some differences. I, I was just a uh, I don't say this as any kind of insult. I was a street cop. I don't know SWAT. I don't know any of that stuff. I was a street cop. I worked narcotics for a few years. And a lot of things you talk about are things that are foreign to me. And I like to think that I know more than a lot of people about law enforcement. But I know don't know everything going on with the tactics used nowadays. One thing you hit on is, I think very, very important, I hear quite often, is about the over-militarization of police. And you kept saying that We have our SWAT teams training with military to do these active shooter and SWAT and sniper scenarios. That goes contrary to what we hear quite often in the media about the so called over militarization of police. They are our first line of defense in the United States, aren't they?
1: They are. They are. You know, the military can't uh, operate within its own borders. Uh, Law enforcement is the primary military type force and i hate to say but we are military we are quasi-military you know responsible for the protection of the citizens in this country when we when we think about what happens in this country we have the active shooters we have homicides we have all kinds things it's basically in in, in my perspective it's its own war zone and police officers are the soldiers responding to these
0: crimes when did it become an insult to say that we're a paramilitary or quasi-military organization or institution—that's what I was raised on, and I was always proud of that. And that we had a dangerous job to do, and when things really got ugly, it was your local police departments that responded first.
1: It, it, it's true, you know. One, one of the things I always say: um, wars in this country, uh, foreign wars come and go in this country. We'll be in a conflict here. We'll be in a war here. They come and go. But the one wall that always grows. In DC, the one wall that always grows, will always add names to it until the end of time. Is the law enforcement memorial? It's it's nonstop. It's twenty four hours around the clock, seven days a week. We are constantly a battle with somebody. For in some jurisdiction, we're constantly having to respond into dangerous situations. We're constantly having to think other ways of dealing with things. We have a less lethal. We have lethal. It's. And I, you know, I know nobody likes to hear it, but to me, it is a war zone. But it's not a constant war zone. Uh, we're constantly dealing with things, but you never know. Turning the corner, you know, the next door is go through, something isn't, it will happen, or an officer has to make a life-and-death decision, type of tactic, so to speak.
0: Right. And it does. And it it comes absolutely out of nowhere. And I think, this is just my opinion, somewhere along the line, along the way, we have become convinced that it's an insult to say that we are, that, that police are American local warriors, that that somehow diminishes their role. We're public servants. We're protected. We serve. We do a lot of different things. But when it comes right down to it, it's a matter of life and death, primarily when someone threatens my life, that officer's got to be prepared to go to battle quickly.
1: Well, some of my really good friends are uh, retired military guys, and um, I'm proud of them. They served this country well. Uh, They trained well. And they're my best friends. And like I said, I I served in the military, but it was years ago. But one of the things about... uh, Police work and law enforcement, when you're out there every day, especially the street the police officer, the street cop, uh, he is the first line of defense. The strongest link in the chain in law enforcement is your first responder. The police officers are out there every day. The thing is, the difference is between that I look in the military and law enforcement, law enforcement are either operating in a one man car or a two man car. Uh, they're either, you know, like they're out there by themselves, they're patrolling. You never know when you're going to turn a corner and something's going to go really, really bad. And you don't have time to come up with a plan of action. You don't have time to come up with something that's going to, you know, where you're going to be able to get enough people to you right away. Your first instinct is to respond what's occurring in front of you. I think police officers are way behind the gun sometimes when it comes to training. I think they're behind the the gun when it comes to sustainment training it all comes back down to how are they going to respond to what's in front of them exactly when it happens and it may be just them and nobody else going to be there is going to be there to help them
0: quite often that's the case a lot of this has to do with economics and finances i look back at the training we had what was great it was of the art of the time the truth be told we were woefully under trained and physical defensive tactics we had just barely above the, the state required minimum for handgun proficiency and shotgun proficiency. And we didn't have a lot of the weapons that are available now. When we return, we're going to talk about your career in law enforcement and also talk about a couple incidents that I do want to say, in my opinion, shaped the way American law enforcement has changed. That would be the Texas bell tower sniper, and also the North Hollywood shootout. Those are things that led to the changes in policing in America and the so-called militarization tactics of American law enforcement. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
2: Epidemic. America's public health crisis. These are all terms that describe the current problem of drug and alcohol abuse in the United States. Countless lives are lost, and heartbroken families are too many to count. Transformations Treatment Center is dedicated to saving lives. Call 888 and online at transformationstreatment.center. Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction. Substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformations Treatment Center has many acclaimed treatment programs offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725 and online at transformationstreatment.center
0: Return our conversation with Dennis O'Connor. Dennis is a retired sergeant from Wilmington, Delaware Police Department. He's also a United States Army veteran. He is the Law Enforcement Liaison for Government Training Institute. Check out their website. Just do a Google search for Government Training Institute. Dennis, before we went to break, we talked about the militarization which is a term used quite a bit of american law enforcement and i brought up two examples that stand out in my mind one i was obviously very very young and i don't i wasn't really cognizant what happened that would have been the uh, the bell tower sniper situation in texas i believe it was austin but the one i remember clearly was a north hollywood bank shootout with the heavily armed guys uh with body armor and There were guys, I say guys, men and women from L.A. Police Department going into gun stores trying to get AR-15s off the shelf so they could do battle. They were doing revolvers and pistols against these heavily armed guys. And those two instances, there are many, but those two in particular stand out as things that made us change radically the way we approach these situations.
1: You're absolutely right. Uh, We're a very reactive country uh, we're not so much proactive um, we don't do a lot of forward thinking about what's coming down the pike in the uh, Texas tower incident uh, you know we had a um, a, a trained gunman uh, so to speak you know he was a military veteran I believe he's on the Marines decided you know to go up on the tower and just start shooting people and the police officers responded back in the day where they had 38 revolvers yeah um, and they're trying to they're trying but if you, if you do the, the history on the uh, Texas Tower shooting, those officers were heroes. I mean, they made their way under most under some of the most adverse conditions and made their way to the top of the tower and eliminated that threat, um, whether it be that error of police officer or whether, I mean, there was actually citizens out on the street uh, rendering aid to other people, and I think one was a Vietnam veteran, and he... Equated to what he was, what he saw is his experience in being in Vietnam. When you talk about the North Hollywood shootout again, you know we have police officers that are going in. Uh, again, you know they they stood their ground. We had you know two gunmen out there, just uh, obliterating the area with gunfire, and these officers stood their ground and returned fire, and they were doing the best they could under the circumstances, but they didn't stop, and that led us to you know thinking about you know, more firepower with police officers, you know, getting in the ARs, uh, getting in the, the um, different pistols, the semi-automatic, semi-automatic handguns. So we kind of grew from that. It's kind of when we look at um, the Columbine shooting, the police officers that responding. there didn't do anything wrong. They were doing things based on training. But again, we had this major event. A lot of people got killed. And we started looking at different things. But just to give you an idea how we don't really forward think, when we came up with an active shooter response after Columbine, we started looking at tactics of our, you know, our T formations, our uh, diamond formations, moving down the hallways, because we knew the schools were going being proactive and they were going to be in lockdown mode. So our fighting would be doing in common areas and, you know, like bathrooms or hallways. But we never started really thinking about, well, what if it's not a school? What if it's in a building that doesn't have an active shooter response. You don't have a lockdown procedure. We we kind of grew and then we stopped. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get another active shooter, you know, but it wasn't in a school. So we start to try to change our tactics. We need to be forward thinkers. We need to be thinking about what's the next event. What's the next viable target? What are the next problems that are going to be posed to us that we have to overcome and we have to train our police officers in? Virginia Tech was another example. You know, he, he chained the doors it was a breaching problem. So we started looking at different things about breaching. Where all of these things we should have been thinking about long before Columbine? Because Columbine wasn't the first active shooter in this country. No. There's been a history of them. Yeah. A history of them. But we never really kind of, we never took the ball and ran with it and thought, all right, let's start thinking out of the box. Right now in this country, we're in the rescue task force. We're, we're talking about post-active shooter Okay, the shooting's done. We have our contact teams inside, still looking for additional threats inside. Now we're trying to get fire and EMS in here. This has been done in chunks over years, where it should have been done all together with some forward thinking.
0: Absolutely, and we keep saying the term active shooter. And uh, although I'm not a historian, I do remember something about someone who lost a school board election. I believe it was in the upper Midwest back in the early 1900s, and he chained the school doors together and firebombed the school and killed a bunch of kids. Then we had the Boston Marathon bombers with pressure cookers. We also had bombings in in New York. These are all things that our law enforcement has prepared for. And there's an old saying, I forget exactly what it is, Dennis. You probably might remember. We train for the worst possible scenario and then hope and pray it never occurs. But we've got to get better at training for what might happen and being prepared because no matter what you do, you can't prepare for every possible scenario. And quite honestly, no matter how much I try to train my mind to think like a a possible bad guy, I can't do it.
1: Well, one of the biggest things, the downside of law enforcement is they've got to multitask all the time. They run calls for service day in and day out, okay? You know, the thefts, the burglaries, the criminal mischiefs, the accidents, all the things that happen more often than the worst case scenario, they're, they're constantly responding to these things. They have to deal with people with mental health issues. They have to do all kinds of uh, different things. But what, what we're not kind of really training for is that r- worst case scenario. You know, we send officers to training, and I always said this. You know, when you send an officer to training, he leaves out of there with a certificate. That's all that is. He's not capable or qualified to do what he was just trained in. He just received the certificates and he attended the class or he, he passed the class, whatever you want to say it is. You have to have sustainment training. You have to train in those tactics on a continuous basis. You know, I use this analogy all the time when I teach. If I'm teaching a child to hit a ball off of a tee, and, uh tee ball, and, I want, and I'm and i going to get up there and I'm going to show him how to stand or her how to stand, I'll hold the bat, swing the bat, keep the eye on the ball, so forth and so forth, it's going to take that child at least 5,000 reps, repetitions of doing what I told them to do before that conscious thought of thinking about everything becomes a subconscious thought where they just do it. Well, take the, same, take, take the same thought process and put it in law enforcement. We'll just talk about being on the range. You know, my agency I came from, we qualify four times a year. There's agencies that I've trained that qualify once every two years or they're, trained, they're qualified a couple times a year, and they're given 50 rounds to qualify. There is no way an officer can be proficient with that handgun, with the accuracy that we demand, with a little bit of time, and that little bit of ammunition.
0: It can't be done. Our agency, and I'm not throwing them under the bus, but we, we qualified once a year, and you're right. It's right. 50 rounds, and it's at various distances where you're shooting at a paper target. Right. Real life gun battles are not stationary paper targets when you have someone shooting at you and you're shooting back and you're running and there's civilians around there's a whole lot of things that it changes it and it, it's not even close to how we trained and, and that's why i said what we did was just barely above the state required minimums we we're talking with dennis o'connor dennis is a retired Sergeant from Wilmington, Delaware Police Department. He's also a U.S. Army veteran and he's the Law Enforcement Liaison for Government Training Institute. We're going to talk more about law enforcement and the many roles that our law enforcement officers have to perform daily. That's coming up on the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, LETRadioshow.com. See you there. How did I transition from police work to a career in radio? Plus, host of the syndicated Law Enforcement Today radio talk show and podcast. I attended the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, where I learned by doing. At the Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, students learn in months, not years. For veterans, some or all your tuition could be covered by your VA benefits. Connecticut Schools of Broadcasting, training in audio-video production, television, sports, podcasting, radio, and web development get more information call 800-887-2346 or online at gocsb.com for special offers and consideration tell them you heard about them from law enforcement today this is the law enforcement today's show return a conversation with dennis o'connor thanks for your service dennis is uh, both a police sergeant and also a united states army veteran very much appreciated and what you do with gti Government Training Institute is also appreciated. We'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the show. One of the things you hit on before the last break that I think is very important is the many roles that our law enforcement officers play. And when I say play, nothing about it is play. It's all real life. I jokingly say that back in the day, we were a full service agency, and we responded to flooded basements. You had to handle everything. And our law enforcement people today, they got to be – Psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, physical doctors, lifesavers, deep, uh, experts at de-escalation. The list goes on and on and on.
1: Yeah, I, agree, I agree with you there. You know, the one thing about being a police officer, um, you know, I learned a long time ago, you know, my father was a retired police officer. And um, when I came out of the military and I decided to embark on a law enforcement career, my father told me, he said, you know, he goes, you came from the military. And again, you know, I was in the military from uh, 78 to 84. And uh, so it was a um, Cold War era kind of thing. But my father told me, he said, um, when you come on the, uh, on the police department, it's going to change you. It's going to change you in different ways. And he says, but he goes, my, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. He goes, whether it's the richest person in the world or the poorest person, on the earth sitting on the curb freezing in the middle of wintertime he said always give due respect to everybody mm-hmm. one of the biggest one of the biggest things about law enforcement you can become very uh tainted with what you see day in and day out you know there's never a time where you go somewhere and you know people are welcoming you with open arms so to speak they look at the uniform they're not really mad at you they look at the uniform they're angry with whatever's going on in their life and stuff like that and as a police officer, sometimes you got to you just got to take a step back. You got to take a step back and understand, hey, they're not mad at me. Something bad went wrong in their life. Uh, I represent some type of authority, some portion of the government. They, You know, they're not happy with that. As a police officer, you know, you've you got you to step that aside sometimes. You know, I can tell you right now, as a young police officer, I would get caught up in it. I would get caught up in somebody looking at me sideways. Oh, yeah. Somebody. That's <laughs> a wild thing to, to, to work their way out of. Right, or, you know, I would, you know, I would be in a bad mood. I would be in a bad mood, and here I am trying to draw them into doing something. Okay? I, I, I get it. I understand it. But as you, as you grow in this career, you, you've got to mature with it. And you have to understand that, you know, everybody we deal with has a backstory. Everybody does. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're the worst person in the world. It doesn't mean they deserve to be mistreated or anything like that or pushed around or shoved around, I think sometimes as a police officer, you hit the you know, nail on the head, we've got to be everything. We've got to be the clergy. We've got to be the counselor. We've got to be, hey, let me talk. sit down and you know I want to be your friend. We've got to be the one to go tell you, hey, your loved one just passed away. We've got to do everything. But the problem is, is a lot of police officers, when we do this in day out, we take it, we do it, we stick it somewhere, we think we forget about it, but we never do. And eventually, that wears on you and tears on you as years go on. And eventually, you know, it, it just it rears itself somewhere. And I can probably probably almost guarantee you some somewhere, sometime, a police officer has made a decision based on things that have occurred to him in the past.
0: Oh yeah, without a doubt. I posted something just recently. I saw it on social media. And by the way. We have two social media pages. Uh, we have Law Enforcement Today on Facebook, uh, also at Twitter and all that stuff Well, as well. And we have the Law Enforcement Today radio show page. Check those out. Be sure to like and follow them. A young lady uh, had a photo of her taken in, in partial uniform after work, and she was throwing up in a toilet, a police officer. And I, I posted it. I shared it. I said, uh, I'll admit it. I've cried. I've puked then i became very quiet and didn't talk about any of it and then the anger came and it it almost swallowed me whole and it took a long time i'm no longer described as an angry person i'm not an angry i live a very peaceful life and and i'm grateful that things get much better but i'm not gonna be quiet about this anymore it's time that we all started talking to each other and i say we i mean members of community as well because These first responders, they're part of your community. And when you have a problem in your community, when you call 911 because you have a family emergency, you want the best possible person to show up. So we've got an obligation to help take care of them as well. It's not just the other way around.
1: And and, and you're you're absolutely right. You know, but I've been out of law enforcement since 2006 and in the the training regiment. 2006, I was involved in a fatal shooting. Um, an individual went into a strip mall, uh, took a knife, and he stabbed his um, girlfriend multiple times. Uh, he fled from the store. Two uniformed officers uh, gave foot pursuit. I was the next officer on this uh, scene. When I got there, he was standing there with a butcher knife in his hand. He had one hung around his neck. Two officers had him at gunpoint. Just like any other police officer in my training, the first thing, you know, he didn't see me, so I grabbed my taser. Uh, when I pulled the taser out and I fired it, uh, nothing happened. So I ditched my taser. I got out of the crossfire. I had my pistol. He spun around on me. He lunged at me, and and I shot and killed him. Um, clean shoot, everything good. I mean, you know, everybody that responded in there, did their jobs, did all kinds of stuff. It wasn't until probably, I don't know, a month or so later, I started, I wasn't questioning myself, well, why, you know, but I started thinking about the suicide by a cop, you know, that, you know, he, he probably wanted to die. Now, I, I, you know, I've talked to other police officers and they say, ah, you had to do what you had to do, you stuff like that. Well, that's fine and good. But the problem is, is that man right there just put me in a position to kill him, to basically execute him and take his life. And I had a problem with it. Well, you know, one of the people I reach out to, my mother, my mother's an angel. She's very religious. I was raised that way, and so I, I started questioning whether, I you know, what I did was acceptable by the Bible, acceptable by God's standards, and things like that. I started questioning And our own moral
0: mother. compass, because I I never set out to do something like that.
1: Right. Well, you know, you know, I talked to her. My mother, you know, assured me and, you know, we could have said something good, and, and obviously, This you know, this is probably, like I said, months afterwards, and it wasn't probably until, I guess, about maybe eight months ago, uh, things just started rearing their ugly heads in my life. I never got a break from, I went from the military to law enforcement to the training. I started doing, uh, you know, I never gave myself a big break, and things started to come out. Started, my anger started to come out. My drinking started to change. The girl that I'm in a relationship with, she started seeing the changes. She started to see how I was being. She started to see that I wasn't trusting a lot of things in my life or people in my life. Things started to raise their ugly head about things, and it became it became an issue. And it wasn't until she told me, uh, this is it. You've got to get some help. you got to go talk to somebody. And I did. And to this day, I still do.
0: And he I don't goes, really see anything yeah. wrong with that. I think that's the, the, the correct way of handling it. For example, and I say this all the time, I, I hate this term, post-traumatic stress disorder. I hate the disorder part of it. To right. me, it's more like an injury. If, if you or I suffer an orthopedic injury, let's just say a shoulder, because I had that happen to me, on the job, and you go to a doctor, an orthopedic doctor, you have to do physical therapy, you might have to do some shots, you might have to have surgery, which I want have to do, then you have more physical therapy afterwards, but it was my responsibility, although I didn't create the injury, it was my responsibility to follow through and do what I'm supposed to do to get better from the injury. And that's right. what you're saying you were doing. I don't. What I don't understand, Dennis, is why we still have an absolute reluctance by so many people to even admit and address that I've been injured and that I need to do get some help and to follow through with it. This is Law Enforcement Today show. Take a short break. We'll be right back. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show, Never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Dennis O'Connor, retired Wilmington, Delaware, police sergeant, also United States Army veteran and Law Enforcement Liaison for Government Training Institute. Get more details about them online. Do a Google search for Government Training Institute. For winter break, Dennis, you're talking about, uh, and by the way, I'm sorry you had to go through that. None of us that I know of in law enforcement want to be in a situation where we have to take a person's life. I've right. been very fortunate. I've been in shootings, but everybody survived, and I'm grateful, because I'll be honest with you. I had hard enough time dealing with that and not having to deal with the after effects of the person died.
1: Yeah, you know, you know that you know that was probably you know that's a worst case scenario in any law enforcement officer's uh, lifetime. But you know, I, you know, I went back and, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, I started going through things. Uh, you know, my trust issues, um, the drinking, the you know, the anger issues, and stuff like that. And one of the, the biggest things is you know I really wasn't recognizing it. You know I was you know I woke up with night sweats. I can't sleep at night. Um, I wake up thinking about various things in my my career and stuff like that. You know I want to sit there. And, I want to sit there and blame it on everything, but everything. But the one key feature, and I really I really mean this, is uh, my partner. You know the girl that I am with. She saw it. Uh, she started recognizing it. And she. Tried to talk me through things. She was she was like the biggest advocate. So there's always somebody on the outside that gets affected by this. But a lot of times, they, I don't you know they, when they see it, they don't know how to handle it. Uh, she she, she, was, she was you know brilliant. I mean, she gave me an ultimatum. She said you need to talk to somebody. She said I'll go with you. She did whatever she needed to do to get me to take that step to try to recover from everything that I was feeling and everything that I was going through. So it it takes a support network. It takes, but the person who's involved in it, the officer, the retiree or whoever, you have to take that step. I guess you can't kind of equate it to being an alcoholic or a a drug addiction or whatever. You have to take that first step, but you have to listen. You have to listen to yourself and you have to listen to your loved ones.
0: And not, Not be defensive, not try to justify it, and just accept, hey, this that goes back to that injury. I didn't ask to get injured, but yet I'm responsible for my recovery from that injury, whether it be physical or mental. Granted, Dennis, look, I'm older than you. I've got physical scars. I've got mental scars. And I'm not embarrassed about my physical scars at all. And there was a time where I was very embarrassed about my mental scars, but not anymore.
1: Right, right. You know, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed about it. And I, you know, I talk it openly, open, openly with uh, people. Like I said, my best friend in the world um, is a retired military, um, former Delta operator. I've sat down many nights, and many days with him. His wife has had to deal with things in their life. She has sat down and she has talked to me. She has you know talked about the reality of things and so forth. You know, I had a great network. I had people that I could talk to. And, you know, the most important thing about it was nobody looked at me as being, being being a sickness. Like, don't don't be around me. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, people were actually reaching out and putting their arms around you and holding you and hugging you and telling you, hey, you know, we'll get through this together. It wasn't say you'll get through this, but was, we'll get through this together. And I think that that's important. I think it's important. But again, the final thing, the final part of this is, when, when it comes to me, I'm the one that has to make this happen. Do I still struggle with some of these things? Absolutely, I yeah. do. You know, it didn't just go away just because I started talking to somebody or anything like that. I still struggle with it. I still do things. I still, my mind starts to wonder. You know, I'm not hearing things and stuff like that. It still happens.
0: And that's a good point. And by the way, For those who aren't in law enforcement, this is all well and good, but what's it going to do with me? This also applies to uh, a lot of our veterans, other first responders. We have correctional officers, dispatchers, firefighters, EMTs, people from normal walks of life who've been victims of horrible crimes, had the same sort of problems. And this is something that is widespread. I read a study recently, Dennis, that that say that about 30% estimated of our law enforcement officers are walking around with some degree of post-traumatic stress. And I venture to guess that our retirees, it's even higher.
1: Well, you 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 know, you're absolutely right. PTSD um, is it, it's not solely for the, the veteran. It's not solely for the law enforcement. A lot of people go through this stuff. You know, one of the things um, my agency, I remember back in the day, started doing, and I don't know if they still do it today, but they had part of the community policing aspect. We had counselors. We actually had counselors, child development counselors, that when we had a violent crime on the street and, you know, kids, kids were witnessing these crimes and stuff like that, these counselors would go out to the crime scenes and they would start interacting with various people, you know, the, the children and stuff like that. And they would um, embed themselves with them to try to get them to not, you know, push out what they just saw as being a problem, but to help them deal with it, to help them become, so it doesn't affect them later in life. And I always thought it was a good program. And, you know, I'll mention her name her name was Candace Davis. And uh, she was probably one of the, you know, one of the, best counselors I've ever seen because I remember being uh, on a SWAT call out and I remember going into a dark room and I remember seeing a body come out of it and I remember taking my foot and kicking that body to the floor and then when I saw who it was and this girl she was probably about 12 years old 12 or 13 years old but she was tall for her age she looked like an adult to me because it was dark in the room and when when I got a hold of her, she had, you know, wet her pants because she was so scared. And that kind of, like, really ate me up that I caused this child to do this. Absolutely. So when I went when I went back to the police department and I got up with uh, Miss Davis, I said, hey, can you go back out there? And we went back out there, and she worked with her for a long time. And I remember being up in, in Center City. At, it was, a, like, a law enforcement night out or something like that. And I remember these little arms coming, wrapping arms around me, and I turned around and it was a little girl, and she told me she forgave me. But if it wasn't for Candace coming out there and embedding herself with this girl, who knows what would have occurred later on in life with her or how she felt about things. You know what I mean?
0: That's a great story. And I say great because of the the impact of the story. I, too, like you, have been... What's the word I'm looking for, Nance? I want to say appalled, but... Uh, when I had to be violent, that right. I could reach the levels of violence that I did, um, right. and it, it's it became something that became af- afraid of that, that we would become unchecked after. Where I'm not I'm not even sure how to say it right. It, it has a negative impact, and with training. No, I think there comes a point where we have a responsibility to train ourselves mentally, the best physical and mental health that we can, in addition to things like tactics and weapons trainings and all that. We are quickly running out of time. Uh, I don't okay. want to forget to mention more about GTI, Government Training Institute. What, again, is it that you all offer?
1: Well, at GTI, uh, we advance we uh, offer advanced SWAT courses, basic SWAT courses, sniper courses, active shooter post-active shooter or rescue task force, which is called nowadays, um, we offer a whole array of things. The owner of GTI, his name is Vaughn Um, His main company that he owns outside of GTI is a major surplus company. So Vaughn is taking it upon himself. He really thought outside the box on this one. He realizes uh, local law enforcement doesn't have a lot of grant money or training money available, stuff like that. So what he does is he looks at the assets that they have in their agency, which they are willing to depart with or they can get rid of, he'll equate training dollars to that equipment or whatever they want to trade in. He'll look at it. He'll give them a price on it. So literally, I've seen agencies pay for uh, SWAT courses, basic SWAT courses with um, items they traded into him. He he doesn't have to sell it before, you know, you get the dollar value out of it. The other thing he does with it is if you need equipment for your, company, uh, for your agency, if you need like ballistic vests or whatever equipment you want to buy but you can't afford to buy, they'll, again, take these assets from you, equate a dollar figure for it, buy that equipment for your agency, take your assets, and then you get the equipment.
0: And all that can be found, get all the details on their website. Just do a Google search for Government Training Institute. Dennis O'Connor, thanks so much for your service, and thanks to me a guest on a Law Enforcement A Show. Well, thank Very you much for having it. me there. My pleasure. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Today show, just go to our website and contact me through there. Our website is letradioshow.com. That's letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. have got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. <laughs>